All right, good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us this morning here at Lighthouse Discipleship Center. My name is Dave Everett, and we're going to be continuing our teaching this morning on such a great salvation as we continue to teach about healing. I believe this is uh, week seven on uh, healing, and this is week uh, 18 on this whole series on such a great salvation. Just so you know, all of our teachings are archived on our website at lighthousediscipleship.org. Excuse me as well as our YouTube channel, Lighthouse Discipleship Center. We also want to say thank you to all those who have partnered with us with their tithes and their offerings. In case you're wondering how to do so, you can simply go to our website again at lighthousediscipleship.org. Go to the top right corner where it says Give. It's highlighted moon and give them anywhere around the world. If you'd rather send us a check, you can simply make the checks payable to Lighthouse Discipleship Center. And on the bottom of every page on our website, you can find our mailing address. Okay, and we're here in the United States, just so you know, all your tax donations are 100% tax deductible, as we are a 501c3 church. <coughs> Excuse me. So like I said, we're going to continue on our teaching on such a great salvation. This is a long se series, um, because there's a lot to talk about our great salvation that we have. Again, let me go over a little recap of what we talked about over the last 18 weeks. We started out talking about defining what salvation is, how we receive salvation by faith through grace. It's not faith alone, and it's not grace alone, but it's faith through grace. We talked about how uh, salvation is a gift from God. It's not something we earn, it's God's grace, but we have to put faith in that grace. Uh, we talked about how the definition in the Hebrew and the, the, the Greek of the word salvation itself, uh, Yeshua in the Hebrew, Soteria in the Greek, it, it's defined as wholeness, healing, deliverance, prosperity, and so forth. We spent an hour talking about the purpose of salvation. The purpose of salvation is not going to heaven and avoiding hell. Those are great benefits of our salvation. They are worth talking about. They are true. There is a heaven and there is a hell. Uh, but those are not the purpose of salvation. The purpose of salvation is a relationship with God. Because sin was in the way, we could not have a relationship with God. Even if there was no hell and there was no heaven and there are, Jesus still would have died on the cross so we could have a relationship with God. Then we spent a couple weeks talking about the necessity of salvation, and then we have been continuing on since then talking about the benefits of salvation. There are many benefits of salvation that I can elaborate on, but I have been chosen to make three mini series on this under the umbrella of benefits of salvation. The first one was wholeness. We spent four or five weeks on this one. Uh, those are already in our archives, and now we are in week seven talking about healing. And I still have some more weeks to go about healing. When I talk, when I'm done uh, with healing, we'll talk about prosperity and how it relates to salvation. That will be a shorter mini-series, I believe, and then I will conclude our teaching on the benefits of our salvation and our, our teaching on salvation as a whole. And we'll answer some other topics. So again, we are talking about healing. This is a <coughs> excuse me again. This is a mini-series within the series of such a great salvation. As we talk about the benefits of salvation and how it relates to healing. Last week, we, we mentioned eight, 11 different hindrances to healing. I'm not going to reteach those again this morning, as we will have to go through the archives and look at last week's message. I will touch on them uh, one more time this morning. Um, a few of them are a little more longer than others, but this is more of a recap. I'm not going to reteach this. We're going to have new territory this morning. Okay, so we talked about hindrances of healing, and we're still kind of talking about that this week as well, but we'll get into that in just a moment. There's, in other words, there's nothing that we can do that would cause 
God's withhold any good thing from us. We need to understand that. God's not withholding stuff from us. He is a giver. And what we need to do, uh, but there are things that prevent us from receiving. God, we, God's not withholding. We are sometimes have things in our way, our hindrances that are preventing us to receive God's provision or his promises or the answers to our prayers, if I can put it that way. Jesus came to save us. Jesus came to make us whole. Last week, we looked at Malachi chapter 4, verse 2. But to you who fear my name, <coughs> excuse me, the Son, S-U-N, of righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings, and you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. I'm not going to reteach this this morning, but this is a key verse that we're going to still be piggybacking on uh, even this morning. As we talk about the Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. Pay attention to that the writer of Malachi, poetically, <coughs> excuse me, poetically uh, worded the word son, that's you in, versus son. I think he was just being poetic in this. And I think it, it, it paints a picture that he, he, he did capitalize it, so it is S U N capital S. Not uh, even though a son S-U-N versus S-O-N. In other words, like I thought actually, I believe the prophet was prophetically painting a picture for us that God's love, God's healing, specifically what he mentions in the verse, is constant just like the sun. Okay? Excuse me. In other words, the constant rays of the suns are equivalent to the rays that emanate from Jesus. His compassion, his mercy, his goodness, etc., etc. In other words, no matter what may be blocking the rays of the sun, the sun is still shining. If we had a rainstorm or a snowstorm, you know, um, we last week we had a thundercloud in the morning and we got some rain here, which is rare here in California, but we did get that. Even though the, the, the it was raining, it was cloudy, we couldn't see the sun, the sun was still shining. If we got in an airplane, we would go above the clouds, we would see the sun shine. Sherry and I have gone up to the mountain sometimes, and it might be cloudy, overcast down below, but it's still the sun is shining, blue sky up in the mountains. Okay, just because there's something preventing the sun from coming through, as far as the sun rays, the sun is still shining. And even at nighttime, the sun might be not be shining here on this side of the planet, but it's, it is still shining on the other side of the planet. The sun is constant. Okay, ever since God said let there be light, and He created the sun. It's been shining ever since. It has not stopped. Okay? But there might be things blocking the sun. Whether that be clouds, whether that be the earth itself. Or maybe it's an eclipse and the moon is blocking it or whatever the case may be. Okay? But the sun is still shining. And just as the sun is always shining, God's goodness is always shining. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, forever. He changes. God said he changes not. God never changes. Man has changed. But God has never changed. The sun rays are constant. Again, God's love for us never changes. His tender mercies are new every morning. His compassions fail not. Because it says in Lamentations 3.22-23, Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, because His compassions may fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Excuse me. But sometimes... And again, this is what we talked about last week. We have clouds that are blocking the, the rays of the sun. Sometimes we have clouds that are 
hindering us from receiving the sacraments. Okay? And I'm saying this from a natural as an allegory or a comparison, how sometimes we are not receiving the rays of the sun because of some things that are hindering it. I'm saying this from a natural perspective, but it's also true spiritually. Sometimes we have things spiritually going on, not because God is withholding, but because we are not receiving. So there's something preventing, there's something hindering, there's something blocking the rays of God's, of God's love, His compassion, His goodness, His promises. But last week, this is not a science lesson, but there's three kinds of clouds. There's the white fluffy clouds, they're temporary. There's the Cyrus clouds, I think I pronounced that right, but we'll go with that, they're thin clouds. And then, <coughs> excuse me again, stratus clouds, and those are the rain clouds, those dark gray ones. Don't worry about the names, it's not a science lesson. Okay, my point is that there's different, there's, you know, there's different kinds of hindrances. There's different things that are blocking. And, I mean, even a white fluffy cloud can get in front of the sun and be temporarily for the moment, uh, making it a little, a little dimmer for a month for normal. But once that cloud passes by, the, the sun is in full uh, array. God's love promises are always shining. There might be things blocking it at times, but God is constant. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But something may be blocking the sun rays. Whether we talk S-U-N or S-O-N, sometimes things are blocking it. God has never changed. So last week we mentioned 11 hindrances to healing. They're not the only hindrances, but there are 11 that I mentioned, okay? Well, the first one is, we talked about the lack of knowledge. We're going to reteach this again. Like, some of these I'm going to go real through real fast. I'm just going to mention them. A few I will highlight a couple of things I mentioned last week. The first one was the lack of knowledge. Hosea 4.6 says, my people are destroyed by the lack of knowledge. First Peter uh, says that, that grace and peace are multiplied to you in the knowledge of him. We talked about that last week. Uncertainty of God's will. We spent a lot of time over the last few weeks for 1 John 5 that we need to have confidence that he, he hears us when we pray. And that if we pray according to his will, he hears us and we have the petitions that we desire of him. We need to have a, a certainty concerning God's will. We need to know God's will. His word is his will. <coughs> and there's a lot of people, a lot of Christians, they mean well, but they are uncertain about God's will, his promises. There's a lot of people who don't even they're uncertain whether God's will to heal them or not. And if we're not, if we're questioning whether God, whether God is willing to heal us, we're not going to have faith for God to heal us. Okay? And so uncertainty and, and faith are opposites. Okay? And we are talking about the misunderstanding of the Old Covenant law, His wrath and His curses. Is there an Old Testament? But we sometimes are putting the old wine, the Old Testament, into the new wineskins, the New Testament. The Old Testament and the New Testament cannot they cannot mix. Otherwise, Jesus said you will spoil both the wine and the wineskins. And so they can't mix. Is the old covenant bad? No, but we are in the better covenant. Hebrews chapter 8, Hebrews chapter 10 talks very extensively about this, that we are in a new covenant. And so uh, Jesus fulfilled the law by all the sin and all the penalty for sin came on him. So we can have a, is sin bad, still bad? Yes, and that's one of my points I'm going to begin to next. Sin still have effect. There's still wages for sin. Okay? But we are in a new covenant, and, we, and when we don't understand the difference between the two covenants, our, our theology on, on that can be a cloud that blocks the sun rays regarding healing. And other things, provision, prosperity, and other things in our life, because we have a misunderstanding about the new covenant and the old covenant. Okay? Sin and living in a known, unrepentant sin, it can be a cloud in our lives, a blockhead. 
But and this is where a lot of people are confused about this because they know anyone who knows me, I'm talking a lot about grace. I'm talking a lot about God's goodness and how He took. I just mentioned it just a minute ago. He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteous of God in Christ Jesus. Second Corinthians five twenty one. Okay, so so how can sin or being an unrepentant sin block God's goodness? It, it, again, it's not that God's not still being good. It's not that God's withholding. Something's blocking us from receiving. Okay? God will never be wroth and angry with me. Is there a day of judgment coming? Yes, so all those who rejected Jesus. But why is God not going to be wroth with me? Because he put all his anger and wrath into Jesus for me. That's what the cross means. And that's, again, not misunderstanding the Old and New Testament at times. But God has made a covenant with me through Jesus Christ. He said in Hebrews chapter 8, the second to the last verse, I forget the verse number, but he says, he will, <coughs> he will remember my sins and iniquities no more. If God's not remembering them, how can he hold them against me? Now, if I, if I rejected Jesus, if I rejected the sacrifice, if I rejected the covenant, if I rejected uh, his propitiation, then there's no sacrifice that remains for me. I will stand before God without Jesus, and if I stand before God without Jesus, I will be judged. But if I stand for, before God with Jesus, I've already been judged. For 2 Corinthians 5.14, we, we, we come to this judgment. That if Christ died for all, then all die. But if we reject the message, if we reject the, the messenger, if we reject the, the, the gospel, then, then we are still in our sins. Okay? But God's not going to be wroth with me. That He says he will remember my iniquities no more. God is not holding back on us. Sin does not change God. Sin changes us. This is what I think I quoted from. Uh, no, this is another reference. No, this is the verse. Hebrews 8, 12. For I will be merciful to the unrighteousness and their sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more. That's what I tried to quote. I think I chopped it up a minute ago. Through Jesus, there is this great grace that we, uh, with me and, and let me reread this. Let me slow down. Through Jesus, there is this great grace with me in my walk with God. However, there is great grace. However, that does not change the wages of sin. The wages of sin is still death. That does not, it doesn't change the consequences of sin. There's still consequences for sin. Sin is still stupid. Sin is still deadly. Okay? Jesus bore the wrath of God on the cross for my sins. But Jesus did not bear the law of sowing and reaping. He bore the wrath of God, but he didn't bear the law of sowing and reaping. Okay? Galatians 6, 7. This is New Testament. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For if he who sows the flesh will of the flesh, not of God, but of the flesh, reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit of God, the Spirit, will reap everlasting life. See, if you sell to your flesh, you will reap corruption from your flesh, not God. We need to understand that, okay? Sin is still deadly. If we sow bad seed, we're going to get a bad harvest, okay? If you sow corn, you're not going to get potatoes. It doesn't work that way. Monkeys beget monkeys, dogs beget dogs, and every seed bears fruit according to its kind, okay? The goodness of God is upon you. But if you sow to the flesh, you will corrupt the goodness of God in your life. Okay? If you 
When you take your freedom, his grace, for an occasion to the flesh, you can corrupt the goodness of God in your life. If I do a bad thing that is a seed, I will reap a bad harvest. Okay? But although it is true, we reap what we sow. I also mentioned this last week, that we also, it's also true, we reap things that we didn't sow. Now it sounds like I'm talking about about, 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 about sides of my mouth. For example, Adam sinned brought death and sickness to the planet. <coughs> we, we are all reaping things that Adam did that we didn't do. We are always going to reaping that. S sickness. Where does sickness come from? It's part of the curse of the law. It's, it's, it's part of the curse of sin. Where does sickness God, <coughs> God didn't create darkness. God didn't create evil. God didn't create sin. God didn't create sickness. It's through Adam's sin that all these things came into the planet. Okay? And we're all reaping that. The first Adam made, got us into this mess. And the last Adam, Jesus Christ, got us out of this mess. Okay? So it's true we reap what we sow, but it's also true that we reap what we don't sow. If, for example, and here's another example. If you are born again, you didn't sow to that. Jesus did. You are reaping the harvest of what Jesus did. You didn't do that. You didn't die on the cross. Okay? You didn't live a sinless life like Jesus did. Jesus is a... Jesus, well, Jesus wasn't born from Adam. We all were, physically speaking. Jesus was born of an incorruptible seed. The Holy Spirit conceived the seed into Mary's womb. It didn't come from Joseph. It didn't come from a man. It came, it, Jesus was a whole new prototype. Jesus was born of an incorruptible seed by the Holy Spirit. He wasn't, he, and so he, if we're born again, we are not, we're born again because we are now being born, in other words, the Bible talks about we're being redeemed. We've been redeemed from Adam to Jesus, the last Adam. That's what being born again is about. And we didn't suffer that. Jesus did. Okay? If, you, if you're born again, you reap what, what you did not sow. If you have, if you have reaped, the, you have also reaped the kingdom of God. None of us have reaped, sowed to the kingdom of God. But we have reaped it. But Jesus said the kingdom of God is within you. The whole kingdom is within us. We didn't sow that, but we are reaping the benefits of that. We are also reaping a lot of bad stuff, just like Adam. And the sin that's in the world, we, that we did not sow. We live in a fallen world because of Adam. Okay? So there's things good and bad that we are reap, reaping what we didn't sow. But there's also personal things that we are reaping what we didn't sow, good and bad. Okay? So some of those, some of those things, both the things that like Adam did in the fallen world, and our own sins, can be clouds that are blocking God's provision and faithfulness to us. God's not the one who's he, he's not the one who stopped. We need to receive and, and whatnot. And some of this can come from just a simple lack of knowledge, which is my first point. And not understanding the Old New Testament. Another one that we talked about last week, number five, was traditions of men. Jesus says, by your traditions you make the word of God of no effect. That can be a stratus cloud in our lives. Demonic assault can also be a a cloud in our lives. Okay? When, when we I've mentioned this real brief, I'm not going to reteach this from last week, but when we are talking about the demonic, there are two ditches. One side, that there's no demons at all, and we don't like talking about them, we don't talk about them at all, that's a ditch. That's not good, that's not right, that's not true. The other side is worse, and they see a demon everywhere. <coughs> Everything's a demon. And they are so demon conscious. Anyway, these people are always thinking and talking about the devil. 
They are always devil conscious. They're sometimes they're usually talking about the devil more than they're talking about God. Is there a devil? Yes. Is there an evil? Yes. Is there demons? Yes. I even give an analogy last time, last week, where some people believe there's a demon behind every bush. Well, even if you go with that theory, and I don't agree with that, only a third of the angels got kicked out. So there's behind every bush, there's two angels for every demon. So um, those people who preach more about the devil than they do Jesus. Is there a devil? Yes. Is there evil? Yes. But I want to preach about Jesus more than I want to talk about the devil. I don't want. He loves it when we worship him that way. We love it when we give him all the attention and give him all the glory, even if it's negative glory. It just we want to talk about Jesus. And do I want? I also don't want to be on the other side of the ditch where we don't talk about the devil at all. There's a there's a proper balance where Jesus is exalted, not the devil. I also don't want to be ignorant of his devices. Mean I don't want to be ignorant of the devil's devices. I don't want to be ignorant of it. I don't want to be uh, 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 naive about it. But I also don't want to give him all the attention. I, I, I've shared this many times, but I, we had a lady in our church years ago, and she was sharing from how she was taught from her church, was that about once a month she got attacked by the, by the enemy at night. And she would wrestle with him all night, cast him out, rebuking him, and all night. And I said, when you do that, whenever that happens on occasion, who's getting all the attention? The devil. I said, what if, instead of you rebuking the devil all night, you just start worshiping God? And see if the devil wants to hang around. And she did that the next time it happened. She worshiped. Instead of rebuking the devil all night, she started worshiping God, and the devil left immediately. And he never came back in that fashion ever again. She never had one more attack like that ever again. When we focus on Jesus instead of the devil, the devil will flee. Submit to God, resist the devil, he will flee. Is there a devil? Yes. But I'm not going to give him the worship and the glory. I'm going to give God the glory. And the devil won't hang around. Yeah. So anyway, I'm not going to reteach that again this week. Not discerning the Lord's body is another way. I, I'm not going to reteach this, but in, in, in Corinthians chapter 11, I think it's First Corinthians, but Paul, Paul talks about communion. He talks about, uh, he talks about we are partaking of the Lord's table in remembrance of him. The, his bread that represents his body broken for us, and the blood of his new covenant, which new covenant I'm going to be talking about when I'm done with this whole salvation series, I'm going to be talking about the new covenant in more detail. Okay? But we're doing it in remembrance of him. We're doing it to proclaim of his death on the cross for us. And Jesus, I talked about this last week, I'm not going to reteach all this, but Jesus has, uh, became our sin offering, according to Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 4, he became our sin, and through Leviticus chapter 1, he became our burnt offering and gave up us his righteousness. Jesus became our sin, and he gave us his righteousness. That's what Leviticus 1 and Leviticus 4 represents. In Leviticus 1 to 5, there's five offerings that all point to what Jesus did for us on the cross. Leviticus chapter 1 talks about the burnt offering. Leviticus chapter 4 talks about the, the sin offering. Jesus became our, became our sin. So that we could become his righteous. That's why the, the lamb had to be unblemished without spot or wrinkle. Because when the man brought the unblemished lamb, he placed his hand on the lamb. Nowhere in the Old Testament was a priest ever instructed to examine the man. They were supposed to examine the lamb to make sure it was perfect. Because when, when they laid their hands on the man, the lamb became the sin offering and was slaughtered or crucified. And the man became righteous. 
and because the, the sin would transfer to the lamb, and the unblemishedness of the, of the lamb would transfer to the man. That's why Jesus is called the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And, and that's what we are doing when we're partaking of communion. We're, we're doing this in remembrance of him, he who, whose body was broken for us, and his, his covenant. And Jesus gave us, um, and nowhere in the Levitical law, I just said this, did the priest ever examine the man? The priest only examined the lamb. Okay? And Jesus, through the cross, became our sin and crucified it. And Jesus, through the cross, gave us his righteousness. So when we come to the Lord's table and remember of him and examine ourselves, what do we see? Because Paul says that in, in Corinthians. After he, how he, he talks about how we're supposed to take of the bread in remembrance of him. We're supposed to take of the cup in remembrance of him. And he's, we're supposed to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And then he makes a statement, let a man examine himself. If he doesn't do it in a worthy manner, he, he's, he's guilty of the cup. Well, if we're doing all of this in remembrance of him, that he died for us on the sins, making us righteous and taking our sin, if we examine ourselves after we remember what he did, proclaiming his death, and we still see sin, then we're saying Jesus accomplished nothing at the cross. Because he took our sin as far as the east is from the west. He became our sin and he crucified it. Okay? And so when we examine ourselves, because even in the Old Testament, they didn't examine the man, they examined the lamb. You can read that in Leviticus chapter 1. Leviticus You can read that through the whole law. They never examined the man, they examined the lamb. When it came to the sacrifices. Okay? And so, so even examining ourselves is not even Old Testament correct, let alone New Testament correct. Okay? And so, when we examine ourselves, we need to see what God sees. We're the righteous of God in Him. When we come to the Lord's table and we proclaim His death, who or what do we see? We should see Jesus. And if we still see sin, we are not discerning His body that was broken for us. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I got a New Living Translation, it says, that's why Paul says, that is why many of you are weak and sick, and some of you have even died. Because we are not proclaiming his death. We are not concerning his body. So one of the reasons people are sick and dying prematurely is they are not discerning the Lord's body properly. Okay? And I'm not going to reteach all of this. I've taught this many times through the years. Um, another one is dishonoring parents. It says in the law that if you honor your parents, you will live long. It's, it's, the, only, it's the only law in the Ten Commandments that's with a promise. Okay? And Paul quotes this in Ephesians. He says it's with a promise. Don't dishonor your parents no matter what they have done. And I, I was very sensitive to this last week. I know some people, that their, their history with their parents is, 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 is very bad. Some people have been abused. Some people have been molested. Some people have their, their, their history with their mom or their dad. Because it, it can happen with either, either or. I know a lot of times we see kids with father bad stories, but there's some bad mother bad stories too out there. Okay, and, and so so their history is bad, and how do you? And the question becomes, how do you honor that? You know, and I understand some people have gone through some horrible things, and there, there's not there's nothing I can say that that will that, that that will justify anything they've done. What they've done is, for some of you, uh, what you've gone through is pure evil. It was wrong. It was wicked. It was horrible. Okay, you've been violated in a very horrific way, but. Don't dishonor your parents in the process. 
no matter what they've done. You need to forgive. Not just for their sake, for your sake, mostly. Don't let your heart, don't let your life be a victim mentality all your life. You need to be healed. Psychologically, emotionally, in every which way. But honor your heavenly Father, who has never betrayed you, who has never violated you. He is faithful. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And you can honor him by the grace of God. You can be the dad that you wish you had, and you can be the mom that you wish you had. Honor him, even honor them, by being the parent that you wish you had, if you have been mistreated in any way, shape, or fashion. Still honor him. Honor him who has never failed you. Okay? I can speak more on that. Unbelief is also another one. We're going to be spending a whole hour or two on this in a few weeks. So I'm not going to rehash all of this. But I mentioned how there's three levels of unbelief. There's the, the, the crowd. And I gave an example last week. There's the disciples themselves. Sometimes, sometimes the preacher's in unbelief. Sometimes me as a pastor, I've been in unbelief. And I've prevented people from receiving healing of the answer to prayer in the moment. And sometimes our own personal unbelief can get in the way. The example I gave of these last two was that the boy who, that, with epilepsy who was throwing himself in the fire. And the, the father brought him to the disciples, and the disciples' unbelief could not heal him. How do I know that? Because Jesus explicitly said why, the disciples asked Jesus, why couldn't we heal them? And he said, because of your unbelief. And then he addressed the, the father, too. The father even said with his own testimony, I believe, but help my unbelief. And we, we talked a little bit about that. I, again, I'm going to be spending a whole hour or two on unbelief in a few weeks. Okay, so hold on to some of that. But unbelief can also be a cloud that's preventing us from receiving from God. We talked about strife, strife in general. James 3.16 says, For in envy and self-seeking exists, confusion and every evil thing are. When there's strife in the marriage, when there's strife in the workplace, when there's strife in the relationships, when there's strife, <coughs> we have opened the door for every evil work. And strife, in general, is a stratus cloud that's blocking God's provision. It's not that God's withholding. We are opening the door to the devil. We've opened the door to God, but we left the back door wide open for the devil. There's strife. Because where there's envy and strife, uh, and the King James calls it strife. Uh, New King James calls it self-seeking. Is this? There's confusion in every evil work. That opens the door. First Peter also says it this way. First Peter three seven. Husbands likewise dwell, dwell not dwell, dwell with them, and understanding, giving honor to the wife as a weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of, of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. He, Peter talks about in marriage that we need to honor. He's addressing the husbands, but there's, there's a place for the wife where that comes in play too, that our prayers may not be hindered. Okay, and so strife in the marriage could actually hinder our prayers. And then, and then the last one we talked about, point 11 last week, okay, unforgiveness and offense can also block our prayers. And one example that came last week, and there's many more, but looking carefully, lest anyone will fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up causes trouble. And by this, many may become defiled. I, I spent some time last week, I actually spent a lot more time on this topic, but unforgiveness can be a blockage to God's goodness in your life. When we don't forgive, we give Satan place. Okay, Satan is here to heal, still destroy, and we all know it's easy to get offended. It's very easy. 
Bible says, anyone who thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. And uh, regardless of the cloud cover, the sun still shines. We walk by faith, and we not, don't walk by sight. Just because we don't see the sun, he is always shining with healing in his wings. And all of these clouds are our, our, our end, not God's. God's not withholding the sun. God's not withholding his goodness. The clouds are all, all these hindrances are on our end, not God's. And so, there's nothing we can do to withhold God's good, that would cause God to withhold any good thing from us. Okay, it says in Romans 8, 38-39, I'm fully persuaded, if you really read the Greek, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ our Lord. Nothing can separate you from God's love is always shining with healing in his wings. There's nothing that God, we can do that God, God withholds his good stuff from us. All these clouds are from our end. God has never changed. He's never changed. He's the same. So starting this week, that's my recap. I'm sorry I went through that a little fast, but like I said, it's a recap. I probably spent too much time on that as well. I want to talk about today, talk about the difference between God giving something and us receiving something. Okay, we're going to be talking about giving and receiving. God's the giver, we're with the receiver. Okay, I'm not saying there's a place for us to give to, but that's not what we're talking about this morning. We're talking about us receiving what God has given. Okay? In James chapter 1, He's talking about wisdom here, but we're going to take this into healing here in just a moment. In James chapter 1, verse 5, it says, If any of you lack wisdom, and I don't know about you, but I've been there before, I lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all, liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. You lack wisdom? Ask of God, he'll give it to you. It says, given twice in the same verse. Twice, he says, in case we didn't get it, God will give. If you need wisdom, if you need to know what to do, do you even need to know, maybe you don't know what cloud is blocking, what's blocking my healing? Well, that's lacking wisdom. Ask God, and he will tell you what's blocking. What's the problem? We know that the problem is not God. We know the problem is not his word. What's the problem? What's holding back my prayer? Ask, and he will give it to you. He tells you that twice. And we can apply this to many other things. My provision, my, my prosperity, whatever the case may be. If we lack wisdom, I just have to ask and it will be given. He says that twice in one verse. If we ask God about anything, he will not unbrave you. He will not betray you in any way. Okay, Whatever is broken in your life, God is eager to fix it. All we have to do is ask. Okay. Do you need wisdom on a cloud that's in your life? One of the 11 clouds that we talked about over the last two weeks. Do you need wisdom? Which one is? Maybe you maybe even know what the cloud is. But and you heard what I said on it this week and that last week. But you still don't get how you can fix the cloud. How you can evaporate that cloud. And how you can move that cloud from here to there. We can just ask. And he will give us the direction and wisdom of knowing how to deal with with this. Like the Father who came to Jesus, Jesus, I believe, but help my unbelief. Disciples even asked, 
why couldn't we heal the boy? Because of your unbelief. And then he gives them the answer, how they overcome, overcome unbelief. You, over, you overcome unbelief by fasting and prayer. Fasting doesn't move God. Fasting moves us to deal with unbelief. And I teach you that in other, other sessions. If something is hindering God's healing in your life, just ask. Any of the prayers, any of the provision, or whatever, ask. God wants to show it to you. God is not holding secrets from you. God is not withholding stuff. If you need wisdom, he will give it to you. If something is hindering God's provision in your life, just ask. God wants to show it to you. Sometimes we just have a lack of knowledge, which was point one in the hindrances and in the clouds. Grace says, your answer is on that shelf. It's free. Go get it. Versus religion says, if nothing happens, well, let's just blame God. Maybe it's not God's will to heal. Maybe God gave you the cancer, or this or that. So religion says it's God's fault. Grace says, I've already given it to you. And we need to find out what's blocking us from receiving that. Okay. Instead, something we need to do a change. God's not the one stuck. He's not the one sick. He's not the one lacking. He's not the one needing wisdom. We are. God's already provided through Jesus Christ, through his grace. We need to learn how to receive from what God has provided. James goes on to say, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. That's where we usually stumble. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven atop by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unable to on all his ways. Remember in the previous verse, twice he said he would give, if we asked. This verse, uh, these verses, he said we wouldn't receive. So God never said he wouldn't give it. He said he would give it twice. He said we would receive it. The problem is not God giving. The problem is us. We need to learn how to receive it. Because we're doubting. Okay? And we need to learn how to receive the goodness of God. Healing, provision, everything he provided. We need to learn how to yield to the goodness of God. We need to learn how to trust the goodness of God. We need to learn how to accept the goodness of God. We need to learn how to accept things like healing, finances, provision, wisdom in our marriages, our relationships, such as parents or whatnot. We need to learn. God is not the one holding back by not giving. We need to learn how to receive the goodness of God. Many of us are waiting on God to give when God is waiting, waiting on us to receive. This is a major adjustment in most of our hearts and lives. As well many Christians, okay? See, this will change most of us. How we pray. This will change in a moment how we walk with God, how we relate to God, and how we relate to the promises of God. This, this will be a paradigm shift for many of us. For example, I'm already forgiven through Jesus Christ, but I need to learn how to receive it when I mess up. I'm already healed through the finished work of the cross. By his stripes we were healed, but I need to learn how to receive when I'm battling sickness. I'm already blessed, but I need to learn how to receive when I don't see it, when I don't so we're talking about the differences between God giving something and us receiving what he's given. I want to learn how to receive our healing. 
I want to learn how to receive it. I want you to learn how to receive it. And I can change the subject. We can talk about, we're talking about healing. We can talk about provision. We can talk about wisdom. We can talk about many different things that God's provided us through the cross. Right now, we're focusing on healing. And so that's where the language is going to be spared to us. By his stripes, we are healed. And Peter says, by his stripes, we were healed. That is the giving side. That is the, the grace side. Receiving, though, is the receiving side. Faith, receiving is the faith side. God does the grace side. We do the faith side. God does the giving side. We do the receiving side. I'm going to be looking at several different passages of scriptures this morning with the time I have left, looking how Jesus healed many different people. And we're going to look at the language involved uh, when Jesus gave uh, in other words, you can kind of put a subtitle to this message. We're going to be talking about according to your faith. According to your faith. Uh, Jesus mentioned that a lot in these examples. First one's in Luke 5, 17. Now some of these examples we've already looked at in the past, but we're going to be looking at them again, but from a different angle. Okay. And it came to pass on a certain day, as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law. So that's the religious people sitting by, which would come out of every town of Galilee, in Judea, and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. <coughs> so, the context, there's many religious people in, in, in the crowd, okay? And they're coming from all, every town of, of, of Galilee, and Judea, and Jerusalem. But the, the writer said the power of the Lord was there to heal them. God's presence was there to heal them. God's presence, God is present to heal them. Everybody, even religious people. You hear me talking down against religion. God wants to heal them too. There's nobody exempt. God loves religious people just the same. He might not agree with their message. He might not agree with their believing in. But he loves them just the same. Okay? The sun is shining on the just and the unjust just the same. Okay? But there are some there were some crowds. And with religious people, there are some very hefty crowds. Especially with these religious people uh, that Jesus is ministering to. And behold, men brought in a bed, a man which was taken with palsy, that's being paralyzed, and they sought means to bring him in and lay him before him. And when they could not find by by what sorry, they could not find a way they, they might bring him in because of the multitude, they went up upon the housetop and let him down to the tiling with his couch into the midst of before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said unto him, Man, thy sins are forgiven thee. Faith, I mentioned this last week, faith can be seen. You can see someone's faith. Faith is active. Faith without works is dead. We are to walk in faith, not by sight, as an action. We live by faith. The just shall live by his faith, as an action. It's a, it's a living organism. Okay? And when he saw their faith, he said unto him, Your sins are forgiven. Then he goes on and says, Then the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this man? Who is this which speaketh blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said unto them, What reason see ye in your hearts? Whether it is easy to say, Thy sins will be forgiven thee, or to say, Rise up and walk. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power upon the earth to forgive sins. He said unto the, the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise and take thy couch 
and go into thy house. And immediately he rose up before them and took up that whereon he lay and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed and they were glorified God and were all filled with fear, saying, We have seen strange things. They said it's all strange things, but the healing of power of God is not strange. It should be strange when people are not being healed. Okay? Jesus, but notice this. In the context of it all, we're looking at Luke's version, we saw Matthew and Mark's version in earlier weeks. Jesus never prayed, Lord, is it will, your will to heal this men of palsy? Why did he not pray that? Because, and Jesus, remember in previous weeks, we've talked late, at length about how Jesus said he only did what he saw the Father do. He didn't do anything he didn't see the Father do. He didn't just do, he was a man under authority, uh, under his Father's authority. Many of us will pray, is it God is your will to, to heal this man with palsy? Jesus didn't ask for it would be God's will. He just, why did he not do that? Because he knew that it's God's will to heal everybody, everywhere, every time. Okay? And Jesus didn't do anything he didn't see the Father do. And Jesus, Jesus saw the Father heal everybody, anywhere, every time. And remember, the, the context is that he was there present to heal them all. Of course, none of them were willing to be healed. The guy who came to the roof got healed. <laughs> the guy who, and when he saw the, their faith. Anyway, I've talked this before, so I'm not going to reteach on this right now. But he said, again, the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Who was there? The Pharisees of the law and whatnot. This guy was a Pharisee, but he got healed. But only one man was healed. He was present. God, Jesus was present to heal them all. But only one man was healed. Now, we don't know the whole story, what happened with the other people afterwards. But all we know is what Matthew, Mark, and Luke shared. And so far, only one man got healed. The difference simply was faith on the part of the man who let them down. Unbelief paralyzes people's faith. Faith in God mobilizes people to respond to God. I want my faith to be seen by God. To receive that power that was present to heal them all. In other words, God's power was present to heal them all. But it took faith to receive. And only this man, or the four men who let him down, had faith to receive. Okay? This will come out in more, more teaching in just a moment. Remember, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And just like God, Jesus was present to heal them all, God is present to heal everybody today. He's here. He's everywhere. Emmanuel, God is with us today through Jesus Christ. And let's go to Matthew. So I've got another one. In Matthew chapter 9, sorry, I don't have the context for some reason. While he spoke these things, to them, behold, a ruler came and worshipped him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. That's, that's the, the man speaking. That's not Jesus speaking. And so Jesus arose and followed him, and so did his disciples. Jesus didn't pause. Jesus didn't pray. He didn't ask if this will. He, someone, a ruler came in and said, My daughter is dying, or just died. Come, lay your hands on her, and she will live. That's faith. Remember, I said faith can be seen. Faith was seen in the four guys who let them, 
out through the roof. It takes faith to cut. So if if you went to someone's house and just started cutting up in the roof and letting a guy down on the on the, on the couch on on a mat, making sure I mean you have to simultaneously lower him down on all four corners so he didn't just spill over and fall down. It takes faith to do that to interrupt Jesus while he's teaching. You know, I mean. If, if someone famous, someone popular was teaching, and you interrupted their, their message by opening the roof, that, that, that was no, no small commotion. Someone starts opening the roof, it's going to make some noise, some dust, it's going to be a disturbance and an interruption. And, let, and then you lower them down right in front of Jesus. It's a faith to do that. It's a faith for them to, to do all that. Here, this man, this ruler, comes to Jesus and says, My daughter's dead. Come lay your hands on him, and she will live. Not may live, could live, she will live. That's faith. Faith can be seen, faith can also be heard. Okay? I can hear, you just talk to someone before, I can tell if they're, they're believing or not believing by what they're saying. I'm not saying they don't believe in God at all, and they don't believe in Him at all, but in the moment, you can tell whether they're believing in the moment or not believing in the moment by what they're saying, and sometimes by what they're doing. Okay? Jesus rose and fought, fought him, and so did his disciples. Okay? Excuse me. Jesus, again, never, Jesus never prayed whatever was his father's will. Why can you lose his father's will to him? Let's pick up the story. And suddenly, while all this was going on, a woman with, had a flow of blood for 12 years came from behind and touched the hem of this garment. Well, she said to herself, I only may, if, if I only may touch his garment, I shall be made well. <coughs> the ruler said, Lord, if you just come to my, hey, lay your hands on my daughter who's dead, she will live. She said, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, my, my, my issue of blood will be healed. Okay? But Jesus turned around, and when he saw her, he said, Behold, of good be of good cheer. Daughter, your faith has made you well. There was never a conversation between Jesus and this woman. She was reasoning among herself and trying to just touch the hem of this garment. I will be healed. This is Matthew's version. Of, uh, it's either Mark or Luke's version, but it says he virtue flew. He, he felt the virtue. It was, he was being drawn with a crowd of people, but he felt the virtue. He knew someone, he knew healing power had just come through him. To heal this daughter. And when he saw her, he said, Your faith has made you well. How did he know their faith? One, he felt the virtue. Two, uh, he, he, you know, he, is, he is Jesus. He is God. He knows what's going on. He, um, but at that point in time, he said, Your faith has made you well. And the woman was made well that very hour. Jesus never prayed. Father, does this be your will to heal her? He was even involved in one sense. He was just walking. He was walking to the ruler's house to, lay, to raise the dead of his daughter, and the lady on her own accord touched the hem of his garment, and she was healed. And but Mark's version, I think I, that's where I was going to share. And Jesus immediately, knowing in himself the power of virtue had gone out of him. Okay. And again, I'm going to reread all that. So let's go back to the story. But Jesus turned around, and when he saw her, he said, Be a good cheer, your, your faith has made you well. But someone touched him, believing. I 
feel like I'm being a little choppy right now, so I'm going to try to slow down a little bit here. Faith can be seen. Faith can also be heard in some ways, in this regard, because of Jesus. Faith can also be felt. Yeah, because he felt the virtue. Some people were touching him. Because that's what Mark was saying, uh, going back here. Because the disciples said, because he asked who touched him, and so I was like, you're being drawn with people on all sides, you're in a crowd of people. What do you mean, who touched you? Who didn't touch you? You know, in that regard. But someone touched him, believing. And there's a difference. You, be, you can be in a crowd of people, and you show me one person in that crowd who's believing God, it will stand out. Light shines in darkness. Darkness is only the absence of light, scientifically speaking. God never created darkness. He created light. Darkness is only the absence of light. And so light will always shine. You turn on a flashlight in a dark room, guess where all the attention goes? The flashlight. Okay? This was a touch of faith by this woman's part. But let's get back to the daughter who's dead. Okay, let's not leave her uh, dead. When Jesus came into the Lord's house and saw the flute players and a noisy crowd wailing, he said to them, make room for the girl is not dead, but sleeping, and they ridiculed him. But when the crowd was put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the, the girl rose to report of this, and the, the report of this uh, went out into all the land. She was dead, but the sun was still shining, was healing in his wings. And let's get, we need to get rid of some clouds. We need to get some rid of some clouds, you have an issue of blood, and we know but if she had an issue of blood, based on the Levitical law, she should have been outside the camp. She could have been stoned for even being in that crowd, let alone touching Jesus, based on the Levitical law. But sometimes we got to get rid of some clouds. And we got to take some faith. Such, such faith. Several weeks ago, I said, you know, faith will always command you to take risk. There will always be risk involved. It took risk for those men to lower their friend down before Jesus. Take risk for this woman. Take risk for this ruler to humble himself and say, my daughter's dead, come, come to my house and kill my daughter. He, I'm sure he could have been ridiculed by some of the other rulers and whatnot. But Jesus turned around and when he saw her faith, he says, I don't know why I'm going back here. But, okay, let's go back here for a moment. That's why I want to go here. Excuse me for being a little choppy this morning. Going back to the woman with the issue of blood who touched the hem of his garment, he says, your faith has made you well. If her faith made her whole, why can't our faith make us whole? That's my point. With all these stories I'm getting, if these people can have faith to raise their daughter, raise their loved one from the dead, to, to get healing in their own body, to, to lower them for a friend down and bring them before Jesus, why can't our faith make our friends, our kids, our loved ones, ourselves, Okay, when Jesus departed from there, same chapter, Matthew 9, two blind men followed him, crying out, saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. And when he had come into the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. And he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, that it be to you. It didn't say, According to the God's will. Why? Because it was God's will. It says, let it be according to your faith. If you don't know God's word, 
If you don't know his will, you can't have faith in it. Because where does faith even come from? God's word. But when you know that you know it's God's will to heal everybody, everywhere, every time, no matter what you've gone through, no matter what you've done, you can have faith. And we, because we're, our faith is according to his will. Okay. Each one was healed differently. One, one said, lay hand, your hands on, on, on my daughter and she'll be healed. The woman with the issue of blood, if I could just touch his garment, not even touch him. The, 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 the four men who lowered him, if you read Matthew and Mark's account of the event, if they could just bring him before Jesus, they would, their friend would get healed. Sometimes just bringing him in God's presence. Now, my point is that there's not a, <coughs> a magical formula that we have to do it this way or that way or this way or that way. We just have to have faith in God. We have to have faith in his word. He said to each of these, your faith has made you well. Not because you touched my garment, not because you lay, I lay hands on your daughter. It's because I did it, and he will do it according to our faith. Okay? These blind men, I mean, these blind men, he just spoke to them. He didn't even say he touched them. Another blind man we looked at last week, he had he, he spit in some, them, some dirt, made some mud, put it on his eyes, and he told him to go wash in the, in the, in the, in the, in the fountain. He didn't, <coughs> he didn't heal everybody that way. Otherwise, we would all have a, a theology, a religion, that we all have, to, in order to get healed, we would have to fly to Israel to go get healed in that fountain. And we would have made a religion out of it if everyone got healed that way. But God, Jesus didn't heal everybody the same exact way, but he did heal everyone who had faith. Does that make, make, that make sense? Okay. Matthew 9, 29. And he touched their eyes. Well, he didn't touch them. I didn't finish the story. He said, according to your faith, let it be to you. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, I'm talking a lot about faith. You don't need to be condemned by that. Because you might think, I don't have enough faith. I, I'm not getting healed because I, I have unbelief. My faith is, is shipwrecked, whatever the case may be. And we can get condemned. We, don't, we need to keep growing in our faith. We need to stop whining. And we need to stop whining what we don't have. And we need to get what we need. You have too little faith. You don't have enough faith. You don't have any faith. Let's get it. Let's stop whining about what we don't have. Let's get the faith. We don't need to be condemned by that. We don't. Our faith might be too weak. Well, then let's get it strong. Paul said, I come to supply that which is lacking in your faith. And he said that in Thessalonians. So how do we make our faith strong? Paul said, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes by really getting to know God. Not just the written word, but also the living word whose name is Jesus. And I can even go with the rainbow word on that. Okay? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. God's word brings us the knowledge of God. You can't have faith without the word of God. Because that's where faith comes. Okay? So if faith comes by the word of God, the word of God will make faith stronger. And that means we ought need to starve out anything that's not the word of God. Because by our traditions, we make the word of God of no effect. And so sometimes we, that's why fasting is so important, because we shut everything, all of the other influences we shut out. And we get our heart focused on God. There's been many times, even recently, Sherry and I were going through a situation where we had to get a new house. And 
We have six. We have uh, eight weeks to get this done in a market where there's not much inventory. And during that time, we didn't. There was. I can't. I can't say we didn't do some whining. We did. I can't say I handled it perfectly. I didn't. But I do know that in the midst of the whining, I was spending a lot of time seeking God. And I was. I skipped a lot of meals. I was fasting. I didn't call it fasting per se, but they're looking back. It was. I was just trying to seek God. And we were seeking God in, in the car. We were seeking God before we went. We were praying together. We were praying individually. We were praying boldly. We come to the throne of grace. We were seeking God because that's where faith comes from. Whether we didn't have faith or we had weak faith, it really didn't matter. We just knew that faith came from God. And we didn't. We knew that if anything, he had the answer. I didn't. We didn't. We didn't have the means. We didn't have the funds. We didn't have the resources. We didn't have the, the, we, the favor, the whatnot, had to come from him. And we do have a house. And our business is growing. Because at the same time, our business had a slump because we were in our slow season for the, the business. And we had some other things hit us from all sides at the same time. But sometimes we're in the middle of the storm. The best thing for you to do is keep your eyes on him. And you will walk in the water. Just like Peter walked in the water in the middle of the storm. And so, the knowledge of God, the Word of God brings the knowledge of God, even in the midst of, even if we know, you know, I'm talking to us Christians, those of us who even know better, because those who don't even like what I'm saying, they're probably not even listening right now, <laughs> okay? They just scroll through Facebook and pass me by. See, God is good. He's merciful. He's compassionate. He's loving. He's powerful. And I can go on and on and on and on. God's power just emanates from him to him. God wants to heal. God wants to provide. God wants to bless. God is not holding back. We need to learn how to receive by faith what God has provided through Jesus Christ. Let's look at the faith of centurion. We looked at him before, but we're going to look at him again. And this one, this is powerful. Because the centurion, as far as I know, he's not even a believer. And there's something that Jesus marveled about his faith that he said he didn't see in all Israel. And that's like Jesus coming today. I saw something in the world that I have not seen in the church. And he marveled at it. We're going to look at this, okay? We looked at it before, but let's look at it again. The faith of centurion is lacking in much of the body of Christ at large today. And I know it's lacking at times in my life. Because Why do I say that? Because I'm not seeing... Faith work at its capacity like I would like, like it to. Have I seen things work? Yes. I just mentioned how God provided our home and our business. But I want to see a more consistency and a more, and, uh, uh, I, I, I want to be walking by faith. I don't want to be walking from problem to problem. I want to be walking through problem to problem. I want to see a more consistency. I want to see more miracles and faith happen. So there's a lack. It might not be a complete lack. It might not be dormant in my life, but there's still some lack. And I believe we all can increase. If we were all walking in faith like we should, and Paul says anything that's not a faith is sin, then we can all grow in this. Okay, we can all mature more in this. This is not, a, I'm not condemning us. I'm as a pastor, as a shepherd, sort of shepherd, under shepherd, encouraging us, pushing us to grow in our faith. To, to seek God. To, to, I want to see more. The Bible says, we're the head, not the tail. We are the light of the world. 
The world needs to be healed. The world needs Jesus. The world needs to be set free. The world needs... The world was flocking to Jesus to be healed and be set free and to hear what he had to say. We need the world. We need a revival in our country, in our world. And we need to be walking by faith and not in fear. We need to get let go of our religion and we need to be walking in faith. And if we were walking in faith like we should be as a church, consistently, we're going to see the miraculous. And if we start seeing the miraculous, we're going to see the world coming to us by the groves. Okay? The faith of the centurion is lacking in good Christian people's lives. See, other people, they will not get anything I have to say. They've turned me off since I said it's God's will to heal. They've turned me off since the first message. Okay? They're religious. And they are hung up on man's words, wisdom, and tradition. I'm not talking to them. They're not even probably watching anyway. But I am talking to those who really love Jesus, who want to learn, who want to change and deal with any cloud that's in their lives, and want to get closer to God, and want to receive all God's goodness, and want to minister that to other people in the world and in their family. This is where it's at. And this, and this parable, or this, it's not a parable, but the centurion's faith. There's something here. Okay? Now, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home, paralyzed and dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. Jesus was willing to come and go, just like he did the ruler. He said, come lay your hands on my daughter, and she'll be healed, she'll, she'll live again. <coughs> Jesus was willing to go heal her. I mean, he said it. But the centurion said, no, he said no Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof. That's another reason why I think he was just some worldly uh, person. But he, but he says, only speak a word. The ruler said, come lay your hands on my daughter and she'll live. This guy, this ruler, and centurion, in a sense, says, just speak the word. And my servant will be healed. That's where his faith was at. The ruler said, you have to touch my daughter. He just said, you just speak the word. Let it be according to your faith. That's the theme that we've seen so far. Okay. He, he goes on to say, for I also am a man under authority. I'm going to talk about this in just a moment. Having soldiers under me, and I say to this one, go, and he goes, and another one come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does that. And when Jesus heard it, he marveled. I'm going to spend some time with that in just a moment. And said to those who follow, but surely I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in all of Israel. And I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Who are they? Israel. The children of Israel. And the king of, God, the king of heaven. See, this whole picture is equivalent to Jesus telling a lost person, I've not seen faith like that in the church. I hope you got that. And when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed him, surely I said to you, I've not seen this in Israel. In the scriptures, in the New Testament, we only see Jesus marveled two, two times. I'm not saying he didn't marvel every time, but we only have two recorded. The first one was his, he marveled at his disciples' unbelief. We looked at that last week. And he marveled here at the Tyrion's faith. So Jesus marveled at his own disciples' lack of faith, and he marveled at the worldly centurion's great faith. In other words, 
God will marvel over something today. God will marvel at something today. I pray God marvels over my faith, not my unbelief. Because God can either marvel at your unbelief like he did his own disciples, or he can marvel at your lack of faith like he did the... Uh, I said that back, I said that twice the same way. He can either marvel at your lack of faith like his own disciples, or he can marvel at your great faith like he did the centurion. But God will marvel. Which side of the coin is he going to marvel on regarding your faith and my faith? When Jesus heard it, he marveled. He said to them, I, I have not seen this in all Israel. He goes on to say, But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into louder darkness and will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It is sad when the world connects faith to the authority better than the church. This centurion had great faith in Jesus because he recognized authority. And the centurion who had great faith that Jesus marveled, connected authority better than the church did. And that is a good, on the satirian's part, but it's a sad commentary for the church. I'm not saying that, I'm not wiping everybody with that brush, but I hope you hear my point. Then Jesus said to the satirian, go your way as you have believed. That's the same common refrain he's been doing with all these other people. The blind man, all these different people, the ruler, the woman with the issue of blood. So let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. Again, it didn't say according to his will. Jesus didn't have to pray about it. He said, let it be according to your faith as you have believed. The centurion, see, he understood that Jesus was not here on his own. The Sertarian understood that the Father has sent him. And that Jesus was under the authority of his Father. The Sertarian understood how authority works. Why? Because he was a man of authority. And he had people under, he had subordinates under him. The Sertarian also understood that Jesus had authority from his Father. And the Sertarian understood if he, Jesus, exercised that authority what would happen? The centurion understood authority. He understood that Jesus was under authority. And he understood how authority worked. He also understood that the one who was over him would back it up. That's how authority works. If I had a boss and they told me to do something, and I did what they told me to do it, I know they would back me up. You get a cop, a police officer, doing what he is sworn under oath to do, gets instructions from his, his commander, commanding officer, he and the whole force will back him up for whatever he does. If he's doing, because he's been given authority. The centurion understood Jesus was under authority. And the centurion understood Jesus had authority to execute authority. So this is actually a double layer. Jesus was under authority to, to exercise authority. That make sense? A cop is given authority by the badge to execute authority in the public or wherever he's been 
are assigned. That make sense? Example, a stop sign. I think we've all seen stop signs. They might be different in your country, wherever you might be. But a stop sign in all reality has never stopped anybody. Stop sign doesn't just reach out and stop your car. Okay? Why do we stop? It's just a sign. It can't do anything. But because of authority. We know that there are authorities who back up that authority. We know if we don't obey the authority of a stop sign, the author other authorities can give us a ticket. Or worse, depending on the nature of what happened. That makes sense? The stop sign is under authority, but it's backed up by other authorities. Okay? Now, God, who is sovereign, and I'm using the right definition of that sovereignty, has delegated authority to us to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cast out demons. The one under authority has, has authority to execute authority has delegate us authority. You get where I'm going with this? Through Christ, God has already released the power to heal. He commissioned the 12 to go heal the sick. He commissioned the 70 to go heal the sick. And he has commissioned the church to go heal the sick. I've been teaching that. I will continue to be teaching that over the next few weeks. Okay? We now have to exercise authority to implement it in people's lives. We've been given authority, and all heaven, Jesus Christ, our Father, will back it up. That makes sense? In other words, I don't pray for God to heal anybody. Why? Because it says, this is the confidence that we have in him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us and we know that we, he hears us whatever we ask of him, we know that we have the conditions we desire of him. I don't pray for God to heal. Instead, I go to God and say, Lord, I thank you that Jesus died for my sins and sicknesses and he pays the price for both. It's my inheritance. And by the grace of God, you've already given it. You've already given healing. You've already given provision. You've already given wisdom. And now I rebuke sickness in Jesus' name. And I command the devil to bow his knee to the name of Jesus. Jesus said we can use his name. That means he gave us power of attorney. That's what power of attorney is. To use his name. And the devil, you must bow to the name of Jesus that we are baptized into, according to Acts chapter 2. And I command my body to respond to the word of God and be healed. Whether it be my foot, whether it be my throat, whether it be my head, whether it be my ankle, whether it be some disease, cancer, whether it be COVID, whatever it is, I pray, Lord, I thank you that by your stripes I'm healed. I thank you that this is my inheritance. I thank you by the grace of God that I can receive healing right now in Jesus' name. I can receive provision right now in Jesus' name. And I command my I command the devil to bow his knees to, to, to the Lord Jesus Christ, to the Word of God. I command my body, my finances, my, my wisdom to line up to the Word of God. I rebuke sickness. I rebuke lack. I rebuke <coughs> ignorance. 
I have wisdom. I have healing. I have provision in the name of Jesus. It's your word. It's your will. It's my inheritance. You, brought, you died for it. You provided it. It's mine. And Jesus is Lord. The devil is not. Jesus is Lord. Sickness is not. Jesus is Lord. Lack is not. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is King. And I will have what I ask for. I have confidence that he hears me when I pray. And I will have the positions that I desire of him. I don't pray asking. I pray receiving. Now there's a lot of scriptures that say we ask. Well, if you look at that word ask in the Greek, it means to command what is due. When you sign a check, you are commanding those funds to be released to the person you wrote the check to. When you go cash a check and you endorse it, you are commanding those funds to be released to you. It's done through a legal process. It's not done at gunpoint. I talked to a, a police detective years ago. He says when people do fraud and they, they embezzle, they are actually, the, the reason why it's a felony here in the United States is because they're robbing the bank just as if they, if they were, had done it by gunpoint. They just did it through fraud. They just did it through embezzlement. They did the exact same thing that they were like coming to the bank with a gun. They just did it through a different format. It's the same thing. It's just done by a different means. Because it's authority. Your signature has authority. When Sherry got married and she changed her name, she tried to get a job. We, 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 did, we, did, we got the marriage license, right? We forgot to change her name to Social Security here in the United States. And so her, name, her maiden name doesn't have any power, any authority anymore. That's who she was. But she, she wasn't Sherry England. Now she's Sherry Evans. And, but her name is her authority. When we sign your name on a document... We're, we are apostolic. We we do we are notary publics, and so we, we we do signatures all the time. That, there's a power in that signature. That's why sometimes it has to go through the whole legal process so it can be recognized as authentic in many different levels of government. Uh, and so there's power in the signature. Well, when we became born again, we changed our name. We're now baptized into the name of Jesus, and we can use His name. Sherry can use my name. Because she has my authority, my name, to do it however she wills. For Because we are one flesh. Anyway, I, I, I can teach more about that. But talk about authority. I'm not asking God to do anything. Why? He's already done it. To the cross. It's called good news. It's not good advice. It's good news. News is not something you do. News is something already took place. The problem with the news today, most of it's not news, it's just, it's, it's, it's man-made stuff. Most of it's lies and deceit and censorship and whatnot. I'm not, I'm going to get off the political wagon here, but at the same point in time, you know, good news is news, something Jesus already did. We need to receive it. God already provided it. I'm using my authority now to receive it. And when I pray for you, for healing, for provision, for wisdom, I don't ask God to heal you. He's already healed you. I command your body to be healed in Jesus' name. Authority. Jesus already did it. He's not going to die again. He already provided it. I need to receive it. And I can help receive it for you. Okay? I command your body to respond to the word of God. <coughs> Excuse me. 
I command your body to respond to the Spirit of God. Which is what Jesus said in my words that I speak. They are spirit and they are life. I command your body to respond to the love of God. The mercy of God. The compassion of God. The goodness of God. I exercise my authority. Where did my authority come from? Jesus. Where did his authority come from? The Father. I am a person under, in authority, under authority. And I have the right to exercise that authority. I'm not the source of that authority any more than a police officer is the source of their own authority. The badge is what gives them the authority. They're not the authority. But they have to submit to that badge. And if they violate that, they're going to answer to the badge. They can, they, they can get fired. They can also get prosecuted. Uh, they, they, depending on how they violate that badge. Okay? And so they're accountable too. Let's look at another one. Well, actually, let's look. This is not what I did. We're talking about exercising authority, right? That's what we're talking about. Well, twice in Matthew, the book of Matthew, Jesus said, he said in Matthew 16, 19, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom. If you have keys, you have authority to enter into that building, that place, that safe, whatever, whatever the keys are, give you access to. You've been given authority. I, I've had many jobs in the years where I was given keys to many different buildings and, and maybe certain rooms or a safe or whatever the case would be. I had authority to, to access that piece of property within the confines that I observed the laws and the rules with that authority. If I had keys to a building, I couldn't steal stuff from that building. I couldn't, I couldn't have my own party there. I had to govern that building the way I was commissioned to get the keys. We have the keys of the kingdom. Okay? And he says, whatever you bind will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose will be loose. We have authority. <coughs> if we don't have authority, then why do we have keys? If we don't have authority, then why can we bind and loose? And he echoes the exact same thing in Matthew 18. He says, whatever you bind... We'll be bound, and whatever you lose, we lose. Twice, within two chapters, Matthew 16 and Matthew 18. <coughs> Jesus said, whatever you bind, will be bound, and whatever you lose, will be loose. That's authority. Okay? We're asking God to bind stuff when he told us to bind it. See, when we pray for God to heal so-and-so, when he told us to go heal so-and-so, he didn't, when he commissioned the 12 and the 70, he, said, he didn't say, go pray for the sick. He said, go heal the sick. That's different. Am I mocking prayer? No, I'm just taking prayer to a new level. Prayer is a relationship with God. Yes, we can have the petitions that we ask. Well, we read that in 1 John chapter 5. I'm not, I'm not mocking prayer, but I'm, I'm, I'm changing our attitude. I'm changing our paradigm. I'm changing what we're believing. We're not waiting for God to move. He's waiting for us to receive. Prayer is, I don't believe, it, it, see, when you have a key, you are unlocking something. Or locking something. You're either binding it, or you're loosening it. I'm not praying for God to, to, uh, to get on his wish list. I'm not sitting on his lap like some people do Santa Claus. I'm receiving. I'm his child. I'm king, we're kings and priests to reign on the earth. We are the light of the world. We're his disciples. We're his children. We're his people. And he gave us the keys of the kingdom to bind and loose. I'm not asking him that to 
that he would do something new. I'm asking him to do what he's already given. I'm asking him to receive it. That makes sense? And so our paradigm needs to change from begging God to do things to receiving by faith what God has already done, what God has already given by grace. See what I'm saying? It's a paradigm shift. I'm not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. I'm just changing the bathwater. The baby's still good. Okay? Our paradigm needs to change from pleading with God to do things to standing by faith on His Word, on His promises. This is called fighting the good fight of faith. God is not holding back we need to learn how to receive by faith. What do you mean by the good fight of faith? If there's a cloud hindering what God has promised, then I need to rebuke that cloud in Jesus' name and receive what God has promised me. I gotta fight sometimes by unbelief. I gotta I mentioned eleven hindrances. The fight of faith might mean I need to stop sinning. I need to stop having strife with my spouse or other people. I might be, I need to get some knowledge. Some of it might need, I just need to get a paradigm shift about the New Testament and Old Testament. So I need to stop dishonoring my parents. The fight, there could be a lot of different reasons why, depending on what cloud is in our midst. Some of us have a whole cluster of clouds. We need to get, we need to get these clouds evaporated. We need to move some clouds and start receiving from God. And so it's a fight of faith. Because the devil's out to shipwreck our faith. And we can get offended. We can get misled. We can be mistaught. We don't have the knowledge of God. We have an uncertainty about what God's will is. Those are clouds. And we need to be in the word of God. We need to have a relationship with God. We need, you know, I, I mentioned several times recently, I've been listening to Catherine Coleman a few months ago, and the, she, she was sharing basically her secret to her ministry. She said, my best, there's a lot of religion people who are doing weird things in the name of healing that she totally disagrees. She loathes a lot of that stuff. She said, it's simple. my secret recipe, I'm using my own words. She says, it's just being in God's presence. Because where does faith come from? He is the author and the finisher of our faith. I'm, Catherine, it's not, it's not her faith. It's not her. She is just... She focuses on getting in the presence of God, getting in the presence of the Holy Spirit. God didn't leave. The Holy Spirit didn't leave. We left. Adam hid from God. God didn't hide from Adam. God is not withholding. We need to get, and sometimes it's a fight, to get into his presence. To shut everything else out. To shut our own mind down. Turn off the TV, turn off the internet, turn off Facebook, whatever we got to do, and get in God's presence. And sometimes that's a fight. Sometimes it's a fight to turn our brain off and start seeking God. Because sometimes our own brain is making the Word of God of no effect. And so sometimes, and sometimes it's a fight. It's not a fight. It's a fight of the flesh. But how do we overcome the flesh? Walk in the Spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Galatians 5.16 I'm not saying this to condemn any of us, including myself. I'm saying this to help us. If I can't see the sun today, it's there. In Jesus' name. 
I rebuke every cloud in my life to get it out of the way. Fighting the good fight of faith. James says that we lack wisdom, he will give it to us liberally. And without reproach, and it will be given to him. But we need to ask with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave and tossing driven by the sea. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man and unstable in all of his ways. So I'm not quite done, but I'm going to have to wrap up here. I went way over time, so I got caught up in the moment. So we're going to pick it up here in, uh, next week, and then we'll have some new territory as well. Um, so I'll, I'm going to uh, wrap it up here in just a uh, sake of time. Uh, thank you guys for your patience for being with me so long. Um, but let's receive. Let's do this. In the name of Jesus. Lord, we just worship you. We magnify your word. Lord, I pray that we would all just receive this in our inner man. That we would get what it means to walk by faith and not by sight. And Lord, we, we, we all have clouds. We all have some religion that we need to get rid of. And we need to get and be real. Be authentic. Because you are. You're real. And we worship you. We magnify you. Bless this week. In the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week. Have a great week.